Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Today's red letter scripture is found at the very end of a fascinating and yet for some certainly a terrifying New Testament story. The encounter between Jesus Christ and a demon-possessed man. Allow me to read it to you. It's found in Mark chapter 5, if you want to follow along, verses 1 through 20. It's an involved story, but we need to know it. It sets the, the conditions and the situation where Jesus' words of direction were given. So here it is. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. They, that is Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake, that would have been the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Jesusenes, Gerasenes. These were not, this was not Jewish land. This was Gentile land. This was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes Jesus would go there as a getaway place. It says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure or unclean spirit came from the tombs, so there's a cemetery right there, to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, that is the spirit, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed implying he wasn't dressed before. The Gospel of Luke, when it tells this story, said this man had given up wearing clothing. He was naked in his condition. Here they see him sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. 
Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, or the ten-city region, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a, an incredibly important story. It has insights into the nature of man and the nature of God and the way God works with man and the way that God sees man. And so, Father, we pray you would open our hearts and our minds to get everything that your Holy Spirit would intend us to get today. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, there's the story. And the red letter statement comes right at the end. Verse 19. Jesus said, it's today's red letter scripture, go home to your family. Go home to your family, he said to the man who wanted to come with him, with Jesus and the disciples. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now I'm suggesting today that in that scripture, Jesus communicates a most unusual and surprising directive. A directive. Direction he gave to this man. A directive like no other. Certainly a directive that few in Christian ministry would give today. But before we focus on the directive, let's focus our attention a bit on the condition of this demon-possessed man. Say to yourself, to ready yourself, say to yourself within your own self, this is the condition of every unsaved soul. Don't think only the ones who go so far as to be completely possessed, dominated by a demon from hell, can be described this way. Say to yourself, this story is told in its incredible vividness because this is the condition of every unsaved soul. Now I know that is not something that the unsaved among us want to admit is true. And it's probably not something that even the saved among us really wants to admit was ever true of them. How many of you kind of secretly said to yourself just a moment ago, that was never true of me. That was never true of me. Even before I was saved, I was a basically good person. Even before I was saved, I was never like that guy. Never. Are you willing to have your opinion changed? Altered? 
Because I say to myself, this is the condition of every unsaved soul. And once I was unsaved, and I'm saying that was the condition that described me. See, we don't like to admit that. People who aren't saved don't like to admit that. They don't want to see this man running out of the cemetery, probably foaming at the mouth, and say, man, that's me. No. No, they don't. They generally think they're pretty good people, and when they hear the gospel message, they say, and there's something I can add to what I am. I do need a savior, because hell is out there, but I'm not living hell in here. I'm a pretty good person, but the gospel's a good deal for me. Well... I'm saying that in the description of this demon-possessed man, we can discover the way a holy and omniscient God sees every single fallen human being. Just three things we point out today. In God's eyes, all fallen human beings are naked. That is, they are completely exposed no cover-up or pretense. And oh, how the unsaved person seeks to cover themselves up in all kinds of phoniness. They pretend to be better than they really are. They continually excuse themselves for behaviors that fall short of what they themselves know ought to be the case. However, they are all, all of us at one time were completely naked before a God who sees right into our hearts. This man was just physically demonstrating what was spiritually true and is spiritually true of all people. And generally... Generally, unbelievers, over time, given enough time, they become pretty naked and exposed to those who are around them most and who know them best. See yourself as you either are right now or as you were when you read that description of this pitiful man. Naked exposed, completely known to God and increasingly known by those who are around and watching and sensing what's in the person's heart. In God's eyes, all fallen human beings are like the man in our story. They are also violent. No bonds, it said, could hold him. No restraint could contain him. Nothing restrains the unsaved. Nothing do they withhold from themselves. To no one do they bow the knee. There might be the chains of the law put upon them. There might be the chains of the Ten Commandments put upon them. But when the, time knee, when the time comes, they can break those bonds like nothing. There is no commandment that they put ahead of their own pleasure, ahead of their own purposes, ahead of their own desires. And if it takes a violent act of will, they will stir up that will. 
whatever it is, the unsaved live in such a way as to satisfy themselves and care little about those around them. In thought, if not in deed, they create havoc wherever they go. The efforts of others to help are generally spurned or misapplied. Violence. Seeking to get one's own way. Seeking to act against anyone who tries to control you or restrain you or put you in in kind of their framework. Sin. Seeks independence. Sin. Wants to do its own thing. No matter what it takes, they will break free of restraint and do it. This man was a vivid, vivid, actual, physical example of someone who could not be restrained, even with the kind of things that normally do restrain people. Not him. Third thing we'll mention, he was self-destructive. Says he cut himself with stones. There's any number of young people today who get involved in cutting themselves. Bringing harm to themselves. Because at least they can control that. And some wind up even taking their own life. Because at least they can control that. This man would weep and cry out and scream in the night and cut himself and hurt himself. Sin brings about a kind of self-destruction in every single sinner. Being one's own worst enemy is a common human condition. For you know, simply being a fallen human being Simply being a fallen human being is to be in a most precarious condition. Say to yourself, it's dangerous being me. Just just say that, you know, it's dangerous being me. Sometimes our greatest enemy is just us. Well, this poor man Who knows how long he would have survived after the day that Jesus got there if Jesus had never gotten there. Cutting himself, hurting himself, destroying himself. Maybe he would have gotten to the place where others chose and decided they needed to destroy him. All fallen sinful people share these kinds of characteristics in one way or another. They are naked in the eyes of a holy God. They can't cover up what's really there. God knows. They are violent. There is nothing that they will submit themselves to. They will go to great extent to just pursue their own desires and efforts. And ultimately, they always wind up being self-destructive. Because sin never makes things better. Sin never makes people better. Sin never brings about an improvement in one's situation. Not really. And little by little, cut by cut, it takes away the the very goodness 
that life might otherwise have. Naked, violent, self-destructive. That's the condition of every human being apart from the transforming grace of God brought in the name of Christ by the Spirit of God into their human situation. That's what Jesus was doing right there that day. He was bringing that to this man. The scripture tells us Jesus initiated that whole thing. Jesus, looking from afar at this horrible, terrible, pitiful man, Jesus had cried out to the Spirit in him, Come out of him! Release him! Set him free! Jesus had said that as soon as he got out of the boat. And his words carried all the way up to the cemetery. And the demon brought this man on a run right in front of this one with the authoritative voice. And he said, you are Jesus. Son of the Most High God. He knew him. This demon had been in existence, these demons had been in existence for a long, long time. From the, before the creation of the earth. The Son of God had been in existence eternally. They knew him. They knew of him. They knew he had power over them. There wasn't any challenge there. There was actually just a plea. Just a plea. Don't send us to that horrible place. There's coming a day when the devil and all of his angels will be cast into the bottomless pit, the abyss. They're not there yet. And this demon even knew Jesus Christ had the power to do that even in his human condition. And he said, don't do that. Don't do that. Let us go into the pigs. Let us stay here in this place. Who knows what happened to them after the pigs ran over the hill and drowned. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. And that's not something we ought to be pondering. The point of it is there was a physical manifestation of an invisible presence. It had been being manifested in that man, but then when Jesus commanded the demons to leave and gave them permission to go where, where they chose, no one could doubt that something had left him and entered them. The invisible spirit became visible in a sense. And all the people had to say, this man right here is exercising God's own power and authority. And do you realize there's not one of us that's ever been saved where God's own power and authority was not demonstrated? Not one of us ever got so smart so enlightened, so aware of the goodness of the gospel that we just decided to get saved. Not one of us. 
It took the power of God to get you saved. It took the power of God to get me saved. It took the power of God for this man in this story to be delivered of of a legion, as many as 6,000 demons that were tormenting him. So getting saved isn't a matter of choosing better ideas. It's not a matter of buying a better situation, buying into. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Oh, believer, if you're sitting here and the best you have as a testimony is there came a day where you decided to give your life to Jesus or to get forgiven for your sins, that's a bit of a shaky testimony because it takes the power of God to deliver somebody. And you cannot be embraced, involved in the power of God, and you just note it as a a good thought you had. Any more than the people there that day could miss the fact that God himself, the power of God, was being demonstrated right in their midst. But if we have ever seen ourselves as we see this man... If the day ever came where you saw yourself completely naked before God and he could see into your heart and know every bad thought, every bad deed, every bad inclination that's in your mind and you became aware that a holy God knew just how unholy you were. And if you ever found yourself to be guilty of violent, as it were, efforts to get free from the restraints of of God, to live your own life, to go your own way, to tear any bond off of you that God would put upon you or his word would put upon you. you. If you see there were times in your life where you were just violently opposed to what your parents said was right, what the Bible says is right, and you were going your own way, If you see that, if you know that has been true, and if you know, if you live long enough to realize you've made a mess of your life, you brought more damage to yourself than you brought good, and you got to that place where you could almost say, I feel like I'm I'm controlled by the devil himself. If you ever got to that place, then you were seeing yourself as someone who needed to be saved. And you would call out to God. You would fall on your knees and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I trust every one of us has that story somewhere along the line. Where you say, that happened to me. And I know what it was like when God answered that prayer and he entered into my life by his Holy Spirit and changed me. He changed me. You see, Jesus can only save the hopeless and the helpless. But praise God, he saves the hopeless and the helpless after by his Spirit letting them know that they are in fact hopeless and helpless 
in this world. That's what this man was. And when Jesus entered into the situation, Jesus took the initiative, Jesus saved him, the demons were driven from him, he was transformed, and he wanted to leave everything and follow Jesus. Wouldn't you want to do the same? Oh man, the people said, Jesus, get out of here. You're making more trouble here than we want to handle. I don't know how we're going to recoup the loss of all those pigs. What else are you going to destroy? Just leave our region. Says they were afraid of the power he was displaying. What might he do next? And Jesus left. Got in the boat. Got his disciples back in the boat. And instead of 12 disciples in Jesus, there was a 14th one. Says, hey, there's, a, there's room for a 14th. Let me go. Let me go. He probably had one foot into the boat already. And Jesus says, no. No, you can't come. You can't come. See, I'm... He wanted to come. There's a part of me that could believe, just knowing that they're human beings, there's a part of me that could believe the disciples wanted him to come. Do you realize what a, what a story this is? Up until this point in Jesus' ministry, this might be the biggest thing they had ever seen happen on a human level. They had seen Jesus calm the storm on the sea just before this, but, I mean, this was a out of control. This is the kind of man that if you could put him in chains, you could probably get people to pay to come and see him. How many people would want to see the man converted? Wouldn't that give credence to Jesus' ministry? Wouldn't that just be a tremendous boost? Say, hey, come see Jesus Christ. And by the way, this with him... You've heard the story, is the demon-possessed man. And he'll be sharing his testimony Tuesday night. You come. A lot of Christian ministries. Man, would they not only let him come, they would have suggested he come. Look at our greatest convert. Look at this one. Come and see him. Think of all the Hollywood celebrities that occasionally get saved and then how quickly they find their place on a seat on a Christian TV program. They've been saved for five minutes and now they're being asked to explain the, the fine points of the Christian life to somebody else. And it's because they're known. They're celebrities. It's a big deal. So-and-so got saved. And now so-and-so is selling books and writing things about the Christian life. He's been saved five minutes. But what a promotion. What an opportunity. Would have been the same back in Jesus' day. The opportunity was there. This had been a big win for the Savior's ministry. And Jesus says, no, you can't come. I don't want you joining our, our company. And after Jesus said, no, you can't come, he gave this, what I'm calling today, a directive. 
a directive to this man. Here's what you need to do. Here is what I'm directing you to do. And that becomes the gist of our ministry here. And there could be a lot of applications to this today. But I want us to understand or try to understand this, this directive of Jesus. Go home. Go to your own home. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. I want us to understand it in, in four, kind of four understandings that could help us get a, a good grip on it. Because what Jesus told him to do was not an easy assignment. It is very likely that his family had already written him off. I mean, this guy had come a long, long way toward complete antisocial behavior. Do you think any of his family would be happy to have him come back? Who were the ones that tried to chain him up in the first place and control him and, and try to n not let him create such a, a problem? They had probably tried to help him in the past often and failed. Maybe even some of them in the past had been attacked and harmed by him. Most likely, all of them were scared of him and would want nothing to do with him. Maybe even in the past, he had had a couple of good moments little period of time where it seems like that, that thing that comes upon him had just gone away and, and he was his normal self again, just a regular guy, the way they, he, he used to be. And they all got sucked into saying, I think that's all passed over. He's better now. And then it comes back. And he's worse than he ever was before. And they say, we're not going to be taken in by that again. This man just needs to be put away and kept away and so, when Jesus says, uh, go back home, there was no father of a prodigal son watching and waiting for him to return. There was no fatted calf getting ready to have a, be a feast for my son was lost and now he's found. This was not an easy assignment Jesus was giving this man. You go home. You go to your own home, your own house, your own town, your own people. It's understandable that this man just wanted to get in the boat and move on. This chapter of my life has been closed for a long time. Have any of you felt that way when you got saved? Maybe the door to your family was closed already. Maybe the very fact that you got saved closed the door. Said, so now you're going to be all what? Churchy on me? Religious? Now you're going to change everything? Now you're going to tell me that everything in my life isn't good and I need to change things? Have you ever felt like the door to your own family has just been shut in your face? And if Jesus said to you, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and talk to them. I want you to go home and be with them if you might say, well, you know, Lord, let me explain a couple of things. My history with these people is not so good. 
Maybe you even were the problem one in your family. Nobody could stand you. And now you got saved. It's like, yeah. That didn't mean anything to me. You can just take your whatever it is and just move on down the road with it. It's not always easy to go home and share what God is doing in your life. So don't think it was easy on this guy. Jesus gave him a most difficult task. A most unusual directive. You go home and you do this. And so I was thinking about that, and and maybe here's four what I called understandings or maybe rephrasings of Jesus' words. Hear Jesus' directive to this restored man this way. And maybe there's a bit of it that might be Jesus giving some directions to some of us this morning. Number one, allow your family to see your deliverance. Unless you go home, they're not going to see it. But there's three words we have in there that that was a dramatic change. It says, when the people came from the town out to see him, out there on the hillside, they found him sitting. No longer distressed and wandering aimlessly. He was sitting. Like he was under control. Like he was just a regular person in, in control of his own inner being. Not just being driven wildly. Not wandering around in the middle of the night. He was sitting there. And he was dressed. Physically speaking, he was no longer naked. No longer exposed. No longer an embarrassment to those who belonged to him. His family. And he was in his right mind. How many of you are in yours? I'm just curious. You in your right mind this morning? It's always a good mind to be in. It says he was in his right mind, thinking clearly and productively. It was a dramatic change, to say the least, but it was only a couple hours long, old. Okay, so there he is. Somebody put clothes on him, got him to sit still long enough that we could dress him. And he is sitting still. I don't know how that kind of worked out. But there he is, sitting still. Somebody put clothes on him. And at least he's not screaming and hollering. So it's almost like he's got his wits about him again. Been a long time since he's had his wits about him. But it's only been an hour. I can just imagine Jesus sitting and gently saying to this man, He says, you need to go home. Demonstrate your newness to them. And that's going to take more than an hour. That's going to take time. Demonstrate that you are new. That I have freed you and made you new. Jesus might say, it would actually, it'll actually take you a while to get used to it yourself. When you were first saved, weren't there a few days you felt a bit weird? It's like, you know, there's new new thoughts in my head. Things that I always do, there's a part of me that says, you shouldn't do that. I need to get used to that. It'll probably take a while for your wounds to heal. But this man had beat himself up pretty bad. 
It'll probably also take a while for those who have known you best to believe that it's real and lasting. Be patient with them, for there is a lot at stake. They need to really see your deliverance. When you're newly saved, a person shouldn't just run home with John 3.16 on their lips. You need to have John 3.16 in your heart and say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And I'm not going to be perishing in this world anymore. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to live according to the will of God. I'm going to live yielded to the Holy Spirit. He's going to be making me more and more like Christ. He's going to be changing me. And and so it's going to take a little bit of time. But I will give it that time. Because Jesus said to me, go to them. Tell them. Show them. They need to see your deliverance And they need to hear your testimony. What happened to you? Well, that's a... Then tell it. Now, this guy had a more dramatic testimony than you and I would ever have. He told his story, how he was in the back of the cemetery. He was screaming and hollering all night long. He was stabbing himself, cutting himself with sharp stones. He he was living in agony. He was completely naked. Nobody would come around him. And people who had tried to subdue him, he had overcome every one of them. That's quite a story. But it was his story. Tell what the Lord has done for you. So that's the first thing. Allow your family really to see that you've been delivered. And give it the time to where every one of them can finally say, you know, I think it's real. I think it's real. Number two, allow your family to share your joy. Luke chapter 15, 10 says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Boy, if there's anybody else in your family who knows Christ, they're going to rejoice when you say you have come to Christ. You've given your life to him. Now the trick is, Jesus could say, is that you never forget where you came from and how I have set you free. Never forget that. Never forget the joy that flooded into you right along with that first rational thought that entered your mind after those demons left you. And he would say to him and say to us, you still though inhabit a fallen world. And there will be many times that would, many things that would steal your joy if you let them. Don't let them. Your joy comes from what I have done for you. That Jesus Christ has set you free. And sooner or later, as you live and that joy is in you, your family will share it with you. Third thing, allow your family to understand what happened. Tell them how much the Lord has done, how he has had mercy on you. This is especially true if you're the first believer in your family and you're going back and and none of them 
really accept these things. None of them believe in what the Bible teaches. None of them really confess that they are sinners themselves. They all think they're pretty good. Tell them. Tell them what has happened and why it has to happen. And that'll take some time. This man needed to understand that himself. That's the problem with putting a brand new Christian in front of a big audience because this brand new Christian is some kind of a known person, a celebrity. When they don't know anything and they haven't been given time to learn anything or to let the Holy Spirit just sink it into them. And here they are speaking as though they're experts. Young believers have been harmed by doing that. Go to your own family, those who already know you, and tell them what has happened to you, how God's grace has been given to you. And let them know that you didn't deserve any of this. You didn't do anything to merit any of this. But God has mercifully freed you and given you forgiveness of sins and a brand new life. And then, finally, hear Jesus say to this man and to us as well, give your family an opportunity to be delivered to. What family doesn't have people who are not saved in it? What family doesn't have young people growing up in this confusing world who have not yet made a commitment of their life to Jesus Christ and say, my life is yours. I'm not going to try to figure it out myself. I'm not going to try to listen to the voices of everyone around me. I'm just going to say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ can deliver me and protect me from all the, the sinful notions of men. What family doesn't have young people growing up needing to come to that place and that assurance? And sometimes it might just be the testimony of an older member in the family that says, let me tell you, I got to the place where I was anything but committed to God. I came to the place where I was just trying to build my own life. I was trying to listen to what everybody around me, my friends were saying, and then I did realize only what God says counts. Only what God says is true. And I committed myself to God, to his word. I received Jesus Christ as my savior and yielded myself to the control and the companionship of the Holy Spirit every single day. That's what we need to do. And the younger we are when we do it, the better. Tell them your story. Read them this story. And maybe the Spirit of God will open their eyes to see that their story and this biblical story is in fact their story. And they need to bow their heart and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior themselves. What a marvelous thing that is. But it won't happen. And they should take Jesus' directive to go home. Talk to those who are really yours. Talk to those who know you. Talk to those who 
who are the ones that you have a relationship already with. And see them come. Some of them will. So our final thought says this. To the members of our own household is where our testimony should first be told. And our new life demonstrated. It's a directive as no other. Let's start there. And you may have a lifetime of work right there. And God will be pleased as you do it. Heavenly Father, this story was preserved in the scripture so that we might see a a bigger than life picture of what life is really like. All human beings, apart from Jesus Christ, are are sinful. And none of our sins are hidden from you. None of our needs are hidden from you. And Father, we, we can live, we can do violence to the Word of God. We can do violence to the teachings of Christ. We can walk away from them. We can twist them. We can ignore them. And Father, we can destroy ourselves in the process. This world is full of self-destructive, sinful people desperately needing to be saved, delivered, changed. Father, maybe every one of us in this room has somebody in our own family that is in such a state. Father, we pray that you might enable us to to be faithful to this directive Jesus gave. Only you can determine the outcome, but Father, may we be obedient to just tell them. And then as as our circle expands, it's bigger than just our physical family, but it's it's all the people that we can call by first name today that we know, that know us. Father, may we tell them and may we demonstrate in front of them the deliverance from sin that we have in Jesus Christ. May there be many right from this congregation who respond to that testimony, respond to that truth, who come to Christ because your people here have been faithful. And we ask you this now in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.